Welcome back to The Hot Dish. Today, uh, we're going to have a conversation about a topic that is near and dear to my heart, and that is children and what's happening with children during uh, this time of COVID um, and the struggles that families are having, especially young families, in juggling their day-to-day activities, um, work, you know, cleaning the house, and now turning into uh, teacher's assistants and um, trying to figure out how you are, in fact, going to make sure that your kids are um, getting taught, getting getting taken care of, that they're actually learning. And all of these problems are heavily complicated by the fact that in many rural communities, we don't have broadband and we don't have the level of support that they would have otherwise in some of our more urban areas. Um, today, I am so excited because Ashton Clemens uh, is going to join us. Um, she is uh, also on our board of directors, a dynamic and engaging young woman from North Carolina, also um, a politician, but uh, more important than that, um, she is an educator and a mother. And um, I think no one has done more in uh, North Carolina to address the concerns that we have during COVID. So welcome, Ashton. It's great to have you on The Hot Dish. I am glad to be back and certainly to talk about this important topic. And also joining me is Adrienne Schwer. Um, she is uh, uh, has a long history of public service. And I have to tell you, Adrienne, you also have worked very closely with one of uh, my heroes, which is um, uh, Secretary Chuck Hagel, who is just absolutely amazing. He and his ways, Lil Beth, um, are just absolutely um, some of the finest people I've ever met. And um, I, I think if anyone who has ever served for Nebraska understands the challenges of rural America is definitely uh, Chuck and his wife. And so you also have four young children. So you are doing yeoman's work, um, uh, continuing your important work in public policy on the issue of paid family leave. Um, but also um, raising your family and raising your children. So, so I'm gonna I'm gonna start out and maybe maybe you know if if you guys don't mind get a little personal um, with both of you because you both have young children and ask what has been the biggest challenge and how have you confronted it um, uh, in in uh, your family life and how has those how have those experiences that you are having right now informed your work in public policy? And I guess we'll start with Ashton. Um, sure. Well, I think I am experiencing what many parents, but especially moms across our country are really facing and trying to balance the needs of my kids with the professional responsibilities that we have. Um, just this morning, as a prime example, I was co-chairing the House COVID Education Work Group from my computer, and my kindergarten one of my kindergarten sons was sitting beside me doing a phonological kindergarten assessment with his teacher through his iPad. And so between the committee, I was having to listen for what she was saying and help him know how to respond to her. And my fourth grade daughter was at the door and said, I need help. I don't know what this assignment is asking me to do. And that is just a tiny microcosm of what is, I think, how families are feeling all day, every day as their children are unable to be 
in schools and in their many of them in their normal child care settings, um, people, people, parents are trying to balance uh, the needs of their kids with keeping up with their professional obligations. And uh, how I have solved it, I, I don't know if I've gotten there yet. Um, I am trying to give myself grace and the kids grace, um, working with the teachers, but I cannot say that I'm anywhere close to feeling like I've solved it, especially we're just starting week two here in North Carolina. So we have a long way to go to get a new routine down. Well, Adrian, what, what's been your experience during the time of COVID balancing all of this? Oh, hear, hearing Ashton's life, it's like I feel heard. There are other people all over the country feeling the exact same things. Um, my husband and I have four kids. They are um, eight, six, four, and our baby boy just turned two. So we have a rising third grader, a rising first grader, uh, a, a pre-K um, student, and then a little baby boy who tries to kill himself all day. <laughs> like, how can I go to the toilet? How can I fall down the stairs? How can I choke on a small object? He has gone to an ambulance to get stitches during COVID. Like, wait, he is a lot of fun. Let's say it that way. Um, and it has been a wild ride. And I know, like Ashton, there are millions of families all across the country struggling with the same stuff. And I try and um, put my life into perspective. I'm lucky to have a partner. I'm lucky to have a partner who carries a lot of weight around this house. Um, I'm lucky to have help. And, and we've been able to find childcare um, for some, sometimes to really help augment. But to be honest with you, I'm still waking up at 4.30 or 5 every morning to try and get work in before the kids wake up um, so I can be with them. And our school hasn't even started. <laughs> so when I get to where Ashton is and our schools open and we live in Virginia and schools are full virtual here, um, it's going to be really tricky. You know, I'm not going to be able to do a podcast like this because I'll have two, maybe three kids trying to zoom into classrooms um, stretching our Wi-Fi, and we're lucky enough to have Wi-Fi. So I'm really concerned about what the fall is going to look like for families across the country. I'm really concerned about um, the way this is stretching working parents and the um, and the the lack of creativity across the country for policy um, policy and interventions and solutions to this problem that I don't see going away in the months to come. Well, I think it's just such an uh, important kind of segue into the topics that we want to talk today, because um, I have to say, people always ask me, why is it important that women um, run and get elected in, for public office? And and I remind people that one of the most important groups of uh, women who should be running are mothers, young mothers, who um, barely have time to uh, get a meal on. Um, but yet we need their voices and we need their experiences in public policy because if they, if, if, if you just, and I'm, I'm not picking on 70 year old white guys, but what does a 70 year old white guy know about you guys' experience right now in trying to raise your kids? We're all inconvenienced because we can't get on an airplane and go do a meeting, but we can get on zoom and there's no competition in my house, um, for, for, uh, uh, for Wi-Fi or for a computer, I, I have access to everything that I need. And so I think that all of the challenges of working families, especially working mothers that um, were there before COVID have been absolutely magnified as we have taken on more and more responsibilities kind of day to day. And so, um, Adrian, I want to talk to you about paid family leave. I think you probably know that um, 
I was one of the early uh, signatures to uh, to uh, Kirsten Gillibrand's bill, which I think is still really important. And you know, just to relay my experience here in North Dakota, very conservative state, how I convinced a number of people to support paid family leave is I talked about it as a work program that we would have the ability to continue to work um, and come back to work. And so the retraining costs wouldn't be there. It was good small business. And so we can make the economic arguments, but but I think we are such a long way off from, from a broad base um, paid family leave. You know, there's a lot of people saying, well, maternity leave is one thing, but you know, I'm I'm talking about also taking care of our parents and being real realistic. So, how do you see this this COVID issue driving the paid family leave um, agenda? Well, you touched on my favorite subject. Thank you, um, and thank you for your leadership on paid leave, and and especially. To, to round out the interest amongst moderates was really, you, you, you took a lot on with that and it meant a lot and has really um, helped buttress the conversation in Congress and make it a more bipartisan one, which is really exciting. Um, as, as you know, Senator, and as your listeners know, um, only 19% of Americans have a single day of, of defined paid family leave. And paid family leave is different than paid sick leave. Paid sick leave is the day you take when you have a cough or you maybe have the flu and you need a couple of days here to get better. Paid family leave is often like, I need to take a meaningful amount of time or I have a condition that requires intermittent leave um, for my care or for the care of another. And my passion has always been around the paid family leave because it's the least accessed by um, most Americans with 81% not having a single day. But paid sick leave is also a major issue with COVID that has been exacerbated. You know, some, I think it's 30% of workers, almost 30% of workers don't have a single day of paid sick leave. But when it comes to low-wage frontline workers, it's in some industries, we're seeing as much as 60, 70% of those workers don't have a single sick day. And that's really concerning. So talking about sick days in particular, very concerning with COVID because we're in a, a situation where if you're showing any signs, if you're sniffling your nose, if you have a small headache, we need you to stay home to protect yourself and protect others. And if you are fighting between, if you're choosing between staying home um, with that small sniffle or that headache and losing a paycheck, you're often going to work. I know pre-COVID, I would go to work with a headache or a sniffle and not think twice about it. But I think our world has changed and we now need to be talking about everybody having paid sick days. Um, the really good thing is that at the beginning of coronavirus, Congress took immediate action in a bill called Families First and they passed the biggest national paid family leave and paid sick day program we've ever seen. The challenge is that it could reach it could reach as few as 25% of the workforce. So they passed a meaningful new paid leave program that gives people 10 days of paid sick. So if you get COVID or you need to care for a loved one who has a diagnosis, you can take paid 10 days of paid sick leave that is in addition to your normal paid sick leave. And if you are taking care of a child, if Ashton decided she wanted to take um, three months to care for, or 10 weeks actually, to care for her children who are out of school or out of childcare, it also provided paid family leave for those cases. The challenge is that it doesn't cover all reasons and it doesn't cover all people. So looking at the world we're facing today, good news is that um, most teachers at their state or local employees are covered by this. So if they get exposed in their in-person learning, they have this new benefit. 
and a lot of workers and those with 500 employees or less are now covered, but it could exclude as much as 75% of the workforce. And the scariest part is it offered an exclusion for some healthcare workers. So some of these essential workers in elder care facilities and assisted living facilities and hospital systems are not covered by this law, which is crazy to me. And, 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 and that's, that's where the most vulnerable are. If you, if you need that paycheck to pay the rent, you're going to show up to work and just gamble that you aren't going to infect anyone else. I mean, it, it sounds, it sounds um, like we're criticizing and we're not. What we're saying is the system is, is rigged against people who go to work every day and do some of the toughest work that's done in America, like being a, a CNA in a nursing home. But yet if they don't have paid leave or if they, they, they in some cases, um, don't get uh, uh, compensated for that time off because of COVID, you're really putting uh, everyone at risk. You know, it's interesting. One of the arguments that I used, Adrian, for paid family leave was that it helps the really small business who can't compete. You know, uh, major corporations, especially the tech corporations, give six months. And you, you know, so how are you going to recruit the best and brightest for a startup against six months if you don't have that economies of scale? Um, I want to talk a little bit about schools and that it's a big topic of conversation, Ashton. Should schools open? Are we doing it right? How come there isn't a national program? I mean, give us some of the insights um, as an educator, as a policymaker, and as a mother um, living in, in North Carolina whose kids are going back to school. What's your perspective on what's happening across the country? Yes. Um, so I think the short of it is that there's no good options. Um, so two quick anecdotes to explain that. One is I had a mom from rural southeastern Guilford County who emailed our office because uh, she doesn't have Internet service and the Internet provider in the area would charge her $23,000 to run a line to her home, which is cost prohibitive for everyone. Um, and so she called the school and the school said, well, the best we've been able to do to this point is put hotspots in our parking lots. And uh, so you can bring your kids to the parking lot to do their work. And she said to me, I have two middle schoolers and two high schoolers, and uh, each of them is supposed to be online for two hours a day. And I have one device and I work from eight to six as a CNA in a nursing home. So am I supposed to go from six o'clock at night to two o'clock in the morning to the parking lot while they rotate their devices to learn online? So that's what we have on one hand. When schools are closed, we know for safety reasons in a lot of places across our country, that's what we're having to do to keep families and children and educators safe. And that's the cost, um, particularly for many of our vulnerable children without internet connection. But on the other hand, so in North Carolina, we had an option to be um, open with reduced capacity and a lot of expectations. So some of our districts have chosen to do that, and many have chosen to be virtual. So about 65% of North Carolina public school kids are all virtual right now. But I was talking to a deputy superintendent of one of our districts who did open, and the week before school started, their second grade team had all of the teachers together and two teacher assistants, so seven teachers, two teacher assistants on Tuesday. And on Wednesday, one of the teacher assistants tested positive for COVID. And oh. so all of those teachers had to be 
quarantined for 14 days, 110 second grade families learned that their kids who they were planning on going to school on Monday could not go to school for the next 14 days because these teachers were in quarantine. And so in my opinion, because of a lack of national leadership from the White House to get this under control, our families and our education system are faced with no good options. And the tragedy is that our kids who are most depending on our schools are the ones who are going to pay the price the most for this time period. Um, and that that is what keeps me up at night uh, is for our children who are depending on our traditional public school systems, uh, whose parents don't have a choice whether they go to work or not, or do not have access to the internet. I mean, those children really... I just eats at my heart what will happen to them in this time period. So um, I think that's kind of the long and short is we just don't have any good options right now. Well, I think the one thing that we've discovered in all of this has been, um, you know, it's always it, the virus it attacks the weakest among us, the people with compromised immune systems and and basically provides the greatest risk for people with pre-existing conditions. And there's no doubt about it. But but we're also finding that economically this virus is attacking attacking the most vulnerable among us. And those are the kids who need that public school education, who don't have the infrastructure at home, maybe don't have a parent who like like your mother that you're talking to, maybe don't have a parent who really has the capability of helping their child um, work through a lot of these issues, special needs kids. I mean, we are we are really exposing the underbelly of the inequality in this country. And these parents who don't have, if you don't have um, paid uh, uh, time off, um, uh, you're likely working in a job that is uh, a, a lower lower wage job. Uh, you're working in a maybe a minimum wage job. You're you're working for tips, and and it's just if if we don't come up with a national policy on these issues, on how we're going to better provide uh, support for our education system, how we're going to better provide support for daycares and for paid family leave. We don't start focusing on young families. We're a country that isn't going to look the way we look right now. I mean, the days of, of mom staying home, those don't exist anymore. And, you know, it makes me so mad when I hear somebody saying, oh, she's just working so that they can have some extra money to buy a boat or, you know, go on a vacation. I'm like, no, she's working to put food on the table. Can we just agree with that? And then appreciate um uh, the the uh, enormous challenges that we have in this country for working families. Adrian, I mean, the numbers are staggering. In our state, I think we used to say 69% of the people in our state did not have one paid day off. And, you know, so it varies by state, but, you know, it it's, it is um, enormously challenging for families, and especially now at during the time of COVID. Yeah, the, the numbers are staggering. And the the reality is that um, there there are no great solutions, as Ashton said, and she is so the expert, but but to but I am most concerned on the lack of creativity. Um the that we can't just wait for a vaccine and hope that enough people in the country take it and all of our problems are gonna be solved. We need 
you know, the counties and the individuals and the communities to band together and come up with creative solutions and think outside the box here um, in ways that really serve the community. And I'm disappointed that we haven't seen a bipartisan package, um, COVID relief package move forward in the last couple of weeks. Um, I wish you were still in Congress, Senator. We need some deal makers in there. Um, because those billions of dollars are needed for the schools. You know, most schools don't even have money to buy hand sanitizer, let alone come up with outdoor classrooms and create new facilities and protect their students. And those are all things that will need to be in place for a while. And we have a lot of schools that need to go back. I'll um, share one statistic about school reopening that has shook me to my core. Here in my county, they sent out a note that the the domestic abuse hotline has seen a 67% decrease in calls which just means that many more kids are going uncaught in this system. And you have to imagine if my household and your households are any example that the stresses inside the home are even more so than before and that there are more kids struggling and hurting than there were before and that many more are not being caught. And the schools played that role. It was the teachers that made those calls to the hotline. Um, And at this point, it's very scary to think about what's happening to these children without the infrastructure of school to protect yeah. them. I mean, anyone who has, as I have worked in this as a policy area with domestic violence knows that isolation is the key tool and method for an abuser. And um, as we stay more and more isolated and as it becomes more and more part of uh, where we are right now in America, that gives an incredible opportunity for people to do this kind of abuse in secret. And it is, it's frightening to think about what is, what we're going to know when this is all over, what was happening within families. And so, you know, Ashton, if, if, if you had one bit of advice for, um, for our friends in Washington, being on the front line as a parent, being on the front line as an educator, and certainly being on the front line as a um, uh, as a political leader in North Carolina, what would what would be the three wish list things that you would have, Ashton? Um, first would be um, as Adrian referred to, we have got to fund our public schools. Um, with no strings attached. So the fact that the Senate proposal only funded public schools that quote unquote opened their doors for in-seat learning was so disheartening to me when I hear the hard work of educators across our state. So that would certainly be number one. Number two is I am so dismayed at the language that I hear from Secretary DeVos and other Republican leaders right now um, talking about how this is uh, what should be happening. Parents are able to make choices and um, we need to invest in individual students to figure out what works for them. And it is an abandoning of our core principle that our public education system is so much more than a child and their wishes. Our public education system is a fundamental aspect to the democracy that we have in our country. So I hope that we will see more of a commitment to the system of public education, not being about individual choices, but being about the public good. And then the other thing, I I really hope that we can start to have some conversation about is 
how are we going to think differently when we are able to be with kids in classrooms again? So there is no substitute. Nothing we do, we can and should do everything we can to make virtual or half days or whatever is happening right now as good as it can be, but it is not a substitute or even close to having a teacher be able to hug and connect with their kids. And so I really hope that we can start to, as we're addressing the immediate issues in front of us, think about what do we do now to build a better system of public education to know where kids are and catch them up quickly so that we do not have this you know, year or year and a half or whatever time period this ends up being for our most vulnerable children set them on a trajectory of a less successful future. That's not in any of our best interests. And I, we are going to need uh, leadership and forward thinking so that we build a better system. Now, we can't wait until July 2021 to do that work. So those would be three things. I'm sure I could list a lot more, but I'll stop there. <laughs> <laughs> so Adrian, I'm going to ask you the same question. Um, you know, we we, we we have a chance to press a reset button, I think, on all of this. And and depending upon what happens in this election, we'll either, you know, uh, turn the corner and, and head in a different direction, or we will continue to be active in, in pushing for the changes that we think we need um, that are going to make it easier for working families, but also help us raise healthy, good, smart kids. And so if you if you had a wish list, what would the three things be? <laughs> oh, so many. Um, so my first and foremost would be, I want to see Congress function and I want to see bipartisan policymaking, not just with the four leaders, but with representatives from across the country. Um, I think right now we're in a situation where it's a couple people cutting deals on behalf of the country and many of them don't represent the North Dakotas and the, the, the North Carolinas um, where there are a lot of people who need their voice heard too. So I'd like to see um, Congress function again. That'd be my goal number one. Um, number two would be going back to what you said right from the beginning. Um, there's a lot of conversation about rebooting the economy and getting people back to work, but don't forget that 40% of the workforce have children in the home. And those are the workers that will be in the workforce for decades to come. And we have forgotten the working family. We have abandoned their challenges and we do not think about what they need from the beginning of the time that they become a working parent to their retirement or to the time they get that child off into school or to their professional life. And I think that, I think there are a lot of bespoke solutions, but I will always be a passionate advocate for paid family leave from, we are one of the only countries in the world that does not have paid uh, parental leave for new parents. We are one of the only countries in the world that does not have paid family caregiving leave. And we are one of the only countries in the world that does not have paid medical leave or um, some type of um, short-term disability program that has more uh, impact and reach than what we have right now. And I would love to see that become more accessible. The really good news on paid leave is that between the federal government taking the lead and offering paid parental leave to all, to almost all, soon to be all federal workers this last winter, to bringing it in the first package of COVID relief. I would like to see that expanded to all workers, especially as we get through COVID, because one thing I wish people remembered was that so much of our country are still hunkered down. They're not going to and from work. They're not exposed. And once we get more exposure with school reopenings and people returning to physical work, paid sick days and paid family leave will be an essential 
solution to keep the economy going and not pause and hunker down every time there's an outbreak. Um, we need that and we need all of the basic healthcare recommendations from the CDC and other scientific experts like contract tracing and better testing, better or more expanded testing, suppression testing, all those things. But I would, I think we can get there if we can see some bipartisan deal making. I, I, I totally agree. I, you know, I, I've been, um, a little disheartened, I have to tell you honestly, in this country, when people say, "Well, you know, here's the death toll; it's 170," but a lot of those people were old. Well, you know, those are the grandpas and grandmas. Um, those that, that they play an incredibly important role in education because they're likely the person when you have two working parents who goes to school and picks up the kids, takes care of them after school. People think, oh, well, these kids, they aren't going to suffer the consequences of COVID. We don't know that. We don't know what the long-term effects are of people getting this virus. And furthermore, if they can, in fact, shed the virus, a lot of them you know, rely on their grandparents, especially if they have to go to work, to pick them up and take care of them during the school week and, and on the weekends. And so I, I think that we've, we, we've forgotten that America still believes in the extended family and that grandparents play a huge role in grandchildren's lives. And, you know, I will tell you what my one wish is. I have one big wish that people like Adrian and Ashton um, step up to lead, not just serve, but to lead. Because I think when we have people whose life experiences reflect the life experiences of so many working families, that we will see change. And, and it will be driven by uh, uh, good ideas and by that human experience that we all have. And so um, we always say diversity of experience. Everybody says diversity representation. I always say when I talk about diversity, I talk about diversity of life experience because I think that enriches the decision making that we make. And so um, I want to thank Adrian and Ashton for joining us. I want to wish you well. As you navigate COVID, I want to um, tell you that better times have to be ahead. We have to pull together as a country if we are going to fight this virus. It is, it is um, disheartening to see the, the separation, but I think we also know that we have to appreciate the threat that it is. And so um, not just to elders, but to working families who are going to suffer the economic consequences and maybe down the road, the health consequences. Of, of the virus. And so I want to thank you guys for joining us on the hot dish. I look forward uh, to um, uh, hearing from both of you, seeing both of your leadership going into the future. Thanks so much for joining us.